like this. I go, I pull my hands and down my head and close my eyes. Whenever you, whenever you want. At night. I'm going to. When I have problems and when I want to ask him my questions. At dinner time. Every day. I don't know. When you eat or something. <laughs> all the time. If like if someone in your family is hurt, you can help help pray to help them get better faster. To help the poor, to help people pray for the food that God's given us. Everything. Good family and. For helping everybody to be um, good and nice and, and like and like be okay. I pray to interact with Jesus and get to know Him more. Cause it's good for God, and so they can be like, and uh, so they can be. Um, so, I can't remember. Well, good morning, and uh, my name's Chris. We're so glad you're here. Don't we have great kids? Woo! We do. That was weak. Don't we have great kids? Some of you are struggling with your kids maybe this morning, so they're not so great. Well, uh, we're in the middle of a series on prayer, and uh, we wanted to kind of see what our kids thought about prayer, that we could hopefully learn something from them. And we want this series not to just simply be about um, teaching a whole lot about prayer techniques, but we want people to actually pray more. And we're going to uh, give you an opportunity uh, to do that uh, later in our time together. But this week I heard two powerful stories of people who prayed for something and actually had been praying for something for months, and the one I'm going to share, uh, over a year, and um, those prayers were answered. One story that I'm going to share is about a guy uh, who's been trying to close a business deal for over a year and has been praying on and off throughout this whole time. And uh, a couple of months ago, it looked like the deal was going to be done. Everything was going to be fine. Uh, There had been some trouble between him and uh, the person he was having this business engagement with. And it looked like everything was great. And later this week, everything just went to a halt, a stop. And he was done. And so he got together with a couple of guys in his small group. And that's why you need to be in small groups, so you can have people around you who are praying for you and encouraging you. So if you're not in a small group, you need to get into one. 
But he had just a couple guys that got with him, and he was very honest to say, the only time I talk with God right now is when I'm angry. And both of those guys said, you know, they didn't judge him, they didn't put him down, they said, it's okay. You know, there's a a book called Psalms in which the guy seems to be angry most of the time at God. And they talked a little bit more, and finally those two guys kind of encouraged him and said, maybe the real issue is, is that you need to see your business not as your business. But you need to see your business as God's business. That it is God's business. And so we're going to pray right now that God, this is your business. You can do whatever you want. We desire that this deal would be done. They prayed at 1 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. At 5 o'clock, I got a call from one of the guys in in that group said the deal was done and told me the whole story. It took four hours, folks, once there was total surrender to allow God to work in the midst of that. I was in St. Louis the last couple of days at a small groups conference, and um, I'm a pretty busy guy, pack a lot into my schedule, and sometimes I'll wind up in places, and I'm just kind of asking myself, why am I here? Now, I didn't ask, why am I in St. Louis? I knew it was for a small groups conference. I wasn't like, you know, how did I get here? I got there in a car. I haven't totally lost it yet, okay? And uh, I walked into this room, but I was just asking the question, why am I here? Why does this person that maybe I meet with one-on-one, why... Why am I here? Why am I meeting with this person? At this conference this week, you know, God, why do you want me here? Not just for all of the information, but why do you want me here? Because what I found out is that if I don't ask that question when I walk into rooms, what typically happens is I'm such an extrovert that I'll just start walking up to people. I'll go, hey, buddy, how you doing? Good to see you. And we'll talk. And we'll talk about everything under the sun... But I'll never know the purpose of why I was there. So I have to ask myself often in moments when I'm in places, why am I here? And the reason I say that is because a lot of times people come to church each Sunday and they never ask that question. So if you haven't asked that question yet, ask it of yourself. Why are you here? And if you're in your program, if you want to write down why you're here today, you can just fill that in. Now, some of you are here every single week because you don't have anything better to do. I pity you. No, I'm joking. But you don't. You're just like, hey, I'm I'm coming. And that's why you're here. Other people are here because you've gone to church your whole life and it just doesn't seem right if you aren't here on a particular Sunday. Some of you are here because your spouse has twisted your arm to a point that you're hurting and (laughs) you're like, I'm here. Others of you are here for the very first time. You're experiencing the jar for the very first time. But you wish you weren't here. (laughs) 
Others are here because there was a cute girl or a cute guy who sat in front of you last week. And you thought that just maybe, maybe they might show up again and sit in the exact same place. And if you're single, some of you are like, where are they at? I'd like to go sit by them now. But all of us have different reasons of why we are here. Now, I don't want to judge whatever your reason is. That's fine. But I want to challenge you this morning that the main reason why you're here this morning is not to volunteer for something, is not just because this is your church, but the reason, the main reason you're here is to meet with God. God wants to meet with you today. And I hope you're here to meet with Him and connect with Him. And I believe that if you think and pray that way, when you come into this celebration of asking, God, I want to meet with you, I think God reveals Himself to you. Maybe in a new way, maybe in a special way, maybe in a different way, but God will meet you if you choose to say, I want to meet with you. We sang that song earlier that says, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I just wonder this morning if some of you really want to see God. Because I'll be honest, sometimes I get so familiar with the songs that we sing each week that I'm saying the words, but I'm not really thinking about the words. So let me ask you, are you ready to really have God to open your eyes and your heart this morning? To maybe see Him in a fresh way, in a new way? What risk would you take to meet Him? Would it be okay for God to come in your presence and for you to be in the presence of God if He didn't do anything spectacular? And that's what I want to talk about today. Those normal experiences where God is just present. I mean, often I think that we feel like to be in the real presence of God that there has to be some bells and whistles going off. We have to have this big emotional feeling that takes over us. But sometimes, God simply wants to be in your presence. Nothing super sensational. It's just a normal moment with Him. I ask you guys to spend five minutes each day uh, praying with God over the last week. And I know you all did it, right? Okay, let me ask you this. You at least thought about it, right? Right? Okay, that's good. Well, I just want to share with you about one of those five-minute experiences that I had. I took five minutes aside and I said, God, I want you to show to me some of the best moments in my life. And so I just sat there for a second, and pretty soon I had this image of my wife Jennifer, who uh, gave the announcements today, and she's still as hot as she was on that day. And I could picture her coming down the aisle, and I was a mess. I'm crying. I mean, I'm a pretty emotional guy anyways. And I was just like, man, she's going to be my wife. I'm so lucky. And then another moment God gave to me as I was asking him to show me the best moments of my life uh, was when my daughter Jordan was born. And there were some complications uh, in her birth. And uh, I just remember the first time looking down and thinking... Man, 
that's mine. And then I thought, Jen, you did really good, you know? You did really good. Another moment that came to me actually happened right in that corner, way back there. This is the very first Sunday that we ever started the jar. Many of you weren't even there. And this curtain was down. It was a nasty yellow curtain. And I stood up and I said, we are going to be a church that breaks the mold. And I still believe that. But it was one of those moments where, where God was present right there. Another time God brought to me in that short five-minute segment was the time when I fell down. And I don't even remember when it happened, but my dad was there. And he just kind of picked me up. And then the very last thing, when I was coming out of this, it was about four minutes, 30 seconds. God revealed something to me that was a moment that I would have never picked myself. It happened about a month ago. Uh, Jennifer and I uh, and our two girls decided we were going swimming. Jennifer, or the girls were really excited. Jennifer was okay excited. I was not excited at all. I was tired. I wanted to sit and watch golf and uh, fall asleep, hopefully, on a Saturday afternoon. And so we came here to swim. We walked in, and the guy at the front desk says, nope, there is no swimming today. And we're like, well, why? And he said, well, the chlorine level's a little bit off, and so we don't think it's real safe for people to be in there. Well, my daughter, um, Jordan, it's not a person that you tell her no. Which most three-year-olds you don't. And she said, well, why? And so the guy was real calm and he explained the whole thing again. He's standing up over her. She listens to all of it and she goes, but why? And he gets down at her level and he starts to explain it to her. You know, so that maybe this will help. And he does it one more time. And she goes, but why? And... Uh, Finally, he said, uh, you know, because you can't swim. You know, no, he didn't really. Um, but I'm thinking to myself in that moment, I'm like, yes, I get to go take a nap. God, there is a God. And then about that time, this guy piped up and he goes, well, you know, have you ever been to the Newcastle uh, Splash Park? I'm thinking, Great. And he starts talking about how wonderful it is, and it's a zero-entry pool, and, you know, all of a sudden Jordan's eyes are like, yeah, yeah, you know? And uh, so we left the nap land, and we went to Newcastle. And we get to Newcastle, and we met a friend uh, who went with us there, and I, I was not going to have a good time. You know, you ever do that before? You kind of go, nope. Look at all you holy people. Oh, no, I never do that. No, you're just like, you're not going to have a good time. And it was a blast. I mean, I don't know what they put in the water over there in Newcastle, but all of a sudden, I'm going down this little itty-bitty slide by, with my daughter. We're holding hands. We're breaking rules. I mean, it was just wonderful, you know? And uh, we just had a blast the whole day. And our friend finally left. And, uh, you know, it was one of those days where they blow the whistle, and I was like the kid who didn't want to get out of the water. You know, I was taking my slow time, you know, and... And, but finally the last whistle kind of blew and we got out of the water and um, I was holding my daughter Shiloh and Jordan was with her mom and uh, her mom was just holding her too, kind of snuggling in. And I was holding Shiloh and no one's in the swimming pool and most people are already gone. And uh, 
all of a sudden, I notice that Shiloh's getting real, real heavy, and she's asleep on my shoulder. And I looked over to my right, and my wife was holding Jordan the same way. And it was just like one of those moments in your life in which every single thing in life didn't matter. And I was so grateful and thankful to God that I could be a husband and a dad and I could just have this moment of being in the presence of God. Because I often think, that that's really what God wants most out of us than anything else. For us to just lay our heads on His shoulder. But for that moment to happen, all of my family had to be right there together. Now I thought about it later on that we could have programmed this. You know what I mean? We could have been like, okay, at 8 o'clock every night, we're all going to the couch, we're all going to jump on there, and we're going to lay our heads on each other's shoulders, you know? And we could have programmed that every single day. But that wouldn't have worked, would it? But um, we did still have to create some space in our normal routine of life for this to happen. We had to block out that afternoon. We had to have enough space to go from plan A to plan B and go to Newcastle. We had to pass up on a nap for this to happen. And I think prayer and having those intimate moments with God is very similar. That you have to create some space in your life if you want to connect more intimately with God. Creating space for God so that you can just meet with Him in the normal part of the day. And last week I talked about that prayer is simply talking to God. Just as two friends talk back and forth. There's no formula. There isn't a thing in which you have to be a spiritual giant to be able to do this thing. And in fact, I said that the only wrong way for you to ever pray is if you pray like a hypocrite. And you want other people to know how awesome you are at prayer. That's the only wrong way. Any other way that you do it is fine. And I want to go even a step further today and share with you something that's even easier than talking to your best friend. And that is, you don't even have to talk to God. You can simply be in His presence. Just be aware that He's there. And that's prayer. So we create space for God, and then secondly, we simply, are, we, we simply choose to be with Him. Now the image I have of this is a little bit of a romantic version, I realize, and it uh, falls down at different times. My wife Jennifer and I uh, got married pretty young. I was 23 and she was 22. And um, if we lived to be in our 90s, if God would bless us that way, we could potentially be married 70 years. You should pray for her this week that that doesn't happen, okay? But we could. And I can imagine myself in my 90s 
that I'll want to sit in a rocking chair. And as I kind of, you know, sit in that rocking chair and just take it easy, I'll want to just kind of look at her. And, you know, maybe, maybe after 70 years, we won't have anything else to talk about. You know, like, we really won't have anything else to talk about at that point. And so, um, we might just have to uh, just be together. Kind of would look like Andy Griffith or uh, on Golden Pond. You know what I mean? You just kind of sit there. And if my wife is still with me, I, I think I, what I might do is I just might reach over and I just would hold her hand and we wouldn't say a word to each other. But uh, we wouldn't need to say anything. Because just being together would, would be enough. Because we'll know that there's no secrets. We know everything about each other. And just being together, holding each other's hands, that it'd be enough. Now, I realize that's kind of romantic, but the reality is, folks, that if you love someone enough, you can be in the exact same room with them and you really don't have to chit-chat. You can just look at each other and you know exactly what's going on. You can just be with them. And I think not only can that happen with my wife, but most importantly, I want that to happen with God. That I can simply be with Him. That I can reach up and that He can hold on to my hand. That I can hold on to His and it's enough. I don't need to ask for anything. I don't need to say anything. He doesn't need to say anything back to me. I can simply be in His presence. When I think of this concept of being together, my mind often goes back to this Old Testament story that we looked at a couple of weeks ago about a guy by the name of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, kind of a pastor, a person who spoke on behalf of God. However, he was a prophet during a time of uh, Israel's lineage in which they were far from God. In fact, no one in the entire nation was following the living God except Elijah and a handful of other people. Everyone else was following false gods. And they had this whole kind of series of these horrible kings, evil kings, who uh, just were no good whatsoever. And Elijah just happened to be a prophet in the time in which it was the worst king of all. A guy by the name of Ahab. He had no personal relationship whatsoever with the living God. And he didn't want anyone uh, to have a relationship. He wanted all the citizens just to like worship rocks and stones and sticks. He didn't want them to worship the real God. And he marries a woman by the name of Jezebel. And this woman Jezebel, she is quite a work. She's a manipulative queen who controls everything. Um, Ahab was just a puppet and uh, Jezebel was just kind of controlling him, doing whatever, he, whatever she wanted. 
In fact, she had Ahab build this great big temple to the God that she chose, a God by the name of Baal. And she puts 450 prophets on the government payroll and actually goes and says, you know what? When this happens, I want all of them to worship this king. Now, he is just a fake king. He is just stone. But he is called the God of rain. And so all of this nation, all of Israel, prays to him all the time for good crops and rain and for things to bless their life. And Jezebel and Ahab get the entire nation to remove their allegiance to the living God and they all turn to this fake God. Now what's interesting is that Jezebel's actual name means Baal, which means he is God. So that's Jezebel. Elijah, his name means Yahweh, which actually means he is God. Now if you have two leaders in a nation and they both are saying, my God is the true God, guess what's going to happen? fireworks. Because there's only one true God. It's either Elijah's God or it's Jezebel's God. So Elijah comes to King Ahab, the puppet king, who's controlled by Jezebel, and he says, Ahab, you are the one who has brought all of this trouble upon Israel because you don't believe in the living God. And then you marry Jezebel, and she doesn't believe in the living God. And she is evil. You also have set up this temple now for this God named Baal, who is not God, even though he claims to be the God of rain. And then Elijah gets up in Ahab's grill, up in his face, and he says, the living God is not happy. And he has decided, dude, that you are done And there is going to be no rain for three years. And immediately, the skies dry up and a drought comes over the nation. First it's day after day, and then week after week, and then year after year. For three years, no rain whatsoever. People are dying It's a horrible mess. There is all kinds of disease in the land. And during this whole time, the Israelites are crying out to Baal, the God of rain. But He never sends rain. But they keep praying to Him because they think that He will. Now during this whole time, Elijah has been MIA, missing in action. But God eventually comes to him at the end of the three years and he tells him to go back to Ahab, the guy who has had no rain in his country for three years. And one day, they see each other and Ahab says, there is the troubler of Israel. And Elijah responds, hey man, no I'm not. 
I'm not the one who brought trouble to this nation. You're the one. And your wife, Jezebel, she is evil. You did it. It's your problem. You're the problem. But Elijah says, well, okay. If you're not going to take ownership, tomorrow morning let us go to Mount Carmel. And you bring your 450 prophets and you come to this place. And you build an altar, put a sacrifice on it. I'll come by myself and I'll build an altar and I'll put a sacrifice on it and we will not light it. We will simply pray to each of our gods to see which is the one who will light it up. That sounded good to Ahab. He was a yes man all the time. So he said, fine. So the next morning, these 450 prophets, pastors, are all going and they build this altar. They put the, the bowl on top of it and they all start crying out, send fire, send fire, send fire. Baal, Baal, would you send fire? Now, I don't know why they thought a God who didn't send rain for three years was now going to send fire, but they did. So they cry out that morning for one hour, for two hours, for three hours, for four hours, for five hours, the whole time. Baal, Baal, send rain. Finally, lunch comes and there has been no fire whatsoever. And Elijah stands up. He hasn't said anything the whole day. He's just been sitting there watching them pray to this fake God. And he stands up. And uh, it's one of the most sarcastic phrases, I think, in all of Scripture. And this is what he says to these 450 prophets. He says, cry aloud, for he is a God, isn't he? Or is he relieving himself? Now, what I want you to know is that what the original Greek says here is a lot worse than what I just said. It has been sanitized by saying, relieving himself. I mean, Elijah is like, where's your God? Is he doing the number two? Where's he at? Is he taking a vacation? Did he not get the memo that he was supposed to show up today? Oh, I have a feeling that he put his email on auto-reply and no one, you know, really has been able to get a hold of him. Where is your God? Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's put earplugs in his ears because all you guys do all the time is go, ba-ah, 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 and there is nothing to cry out to. Maybe he's trapped somewhere. Maybe he's fallen into the toilet. Maybe you should go find Him. Where is your God? And the prophets get furious about this and they take knives and spears and they start cutting themselves thinking that if they bled, that at least they would see the pain that they're experiencing and that their God would actually show up if He would see their pain. And the afternoon goes and they're still praying. And there's this cutting of their arms. And all this blood is being poured out. And finally, finally, Elijah has had enough. And he comes at the end of the day and he says this. I'm going to do my altar now. 
But he says, when I do my altar, I'm going to build a moat around the altar three feet deep. And I want you to pour any water that we have in there. And then I want you to drench the bowl. I mean, just make it a muddy mess. Get it drenched, saturated, to where the water is just dripping out everywhere. And so all the guys kind of do that. And then Elijah prays a simple prayer. And he says, O living God, Baal is not Baal is not the God. You are the God. Send fire. Woo! Immediately. Fire comes, folks, and it, it takes up all the water. Three feet deep of water. It's gone. The animal has been burned up so bad there is no sign of it anymore. All you see is just a little remnant of what's left. I mean, Elijah's even there and he's got a sunburn, you know? I mean, the radiation has kicked off and he's in trouble. And just like that, it happened. And all of a sudden, these people turn away from Baal, and they turn towards Yahweh, and they start shouting Elijah's name. And do you remember what I said Elijah's name meant? He is God. So they're saying Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. And what you would hear is Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. And they're crying this out. It's the best day of his life. And he goes on further and he tells Ahab that now it's going to rain. And he goes and he prays and it doesn't rain. And Elijah's like, God, okay, you did one, you sent fire, let's send some rain now. It'd be a really good thing if you sent some rain, like right now. So he goes back and he prays again. No rain. He has to do it seven times. Finally, he asked one of his servants to go look at the sky. And he says, do you see any cloud, anything of hope? And he says, I see a small little cloud about the size of my hand off in the distance. And as the cloud comes forward, just this massive rain pours out all over the place. It's the greatest day of his life. He's seen His name lifted up. He's seen His God's name lifted up. He has seen fire from heaven and a storm come. And then He gets word that Jezebel is after Him. Jezebel says, I'm going to take you out, prophet. I'm going to kill you. And Elijah does what many of us would do at that point. He runs away because he's afraid. He loses faith in the living God. At the end of the greatest day of his life, because of this one woman, he gets so overwhelmed and he runs away. And as he's running, he's praying to God, God, kill me. I'd rather you deal with me rather than Jezebel. And he finally finds a cave and he gets into the cave and the Scripture says this, The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is about to pass by. 
He says, come out of the cave, Elijah. I want to talk to you. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you in the cave, Elijah? I think I think of this story when I think about being in the presence of God is because often I think when my prayer life is hitting on all cylinders, I should be experiencing things like confronting evil kings and earthquakes and fire coming down and winds. I mean, that's what an exciting prayer life looks like. All the time, you know, people's prayers are just being answered. Now, there's no doubt that God can do the supernatural things uh, that we see in the Bible. But God is predominantly the God of the whisper. The God of a gentle voice. He's the God that if we can get the earthquakes and the winds and the fire quieted down enough that we can hear His voice. We can hear Him speak when we're in a room. And we can say, why am I here? And God can speak that to us. We can lean on His shoulder, just like at a swimming pool, and feel the presence that God is there. We can reach over and hold the hand of someone And God reaches out and He touches us. He is always a God who is as close to you as your next breath. I think the psalmist kind of said it best when he said this, Be still and know that I am God. If you want to be able to know God, you have to be still. Psalm 62 says this, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. Or be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. There's something about you being still to know God. And the reality is, most of us don't like to be still. We don't like silence. We'd rather have our texting than silence any day, including me. But God's still the God of the gentle whisper. In the New Testament, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, said this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. You know, when I'm really, really anxious about things in my life, And I struggle with anxiety. If I think about those things over and over and over again, 
all that happens is I get more anxious. But if I go to God, and I'm grateful to do that, that if I can go to Him, I can simply be, and He can take that anxiety away from me. We're going to close today, not with the me praying or the band doing some song. But if you would allow me, I want us to experience prayer uh, together. Uh, like I said, one of uh, the things that I've learned is that there are some techniques of prayer that are helpful for us to understand. And um, one of those uh, is called palms up, palms down. And if you can just go with me on this, I promise it won't be anything weird. Uh, no one's going to uh, you know, yell at you or anything like that. But if you could just sit up in your chair, kind of relax a little bit, but just sit up a little bit and uh, get comfortable, however that is. If you want to not cross your legs, that might be helpful. But uh, you can just sit there for a second. And uh, if you put your palms right here on your knees or on your legs for a second. And uh, this is a Christian technique that has been done for hundreds, you know, a thousand years. And um, you have your palms down, and each time that anxiety or worry or something comes in your mind, I just kind of push it away like I'm pushing those things away. And so maybe I'm sitting here, I'm going, hey God, you know, I'm really anxious about this and that and the other thing, and I'm telling him all about that, and I'll just, I'll just start to kind of push, it, push that stuff away. And uh, I might say something like, you know, hey, I'm... I'm really anxious about paying the bills this week. Um, I'm anxious about uh, having to go to work tomorrow. I've got to deal with the boss. And I'll just, in my prayer time, I'll just kind of push that out. And when finally um, nothing's really there that I'm anxious about, I'll put my palms up like this. And I'll say, God, now I'm, I'm fully able to receive whatever you want to give me, even if it's nothing, just to be with you, that that's enough. And if I'm in this moment and all of a sudden I think, what am I going to eat later tonight? Okay? Now, technically, that's not a big deal. But the reality is, it's an anxiety. So I put my hands back over and I'll go, okay, God, I don't really care what I'm going to eat tonight. I just want to be with you. And then I put my hands back up like this. And so what's going to happen is, uh, Derek and Mikey are going to kind of lead us um, just for a few minutes, it won't be long, just a couple of minutes, in some uh, songs, uh, not songs, but just some quiet, reflective music, things that you won't even probably ever hear again. And uh, for you to just kind of center yourself with your uh, palms like that, and you can just kind of do this. And uh, we're going to turn the lights off here in just a second so that you can not be worried about uh, anyone looking at you or or anything like that. And this is just a time between you and God for the two of you to meet. And they'll kind of end the music and then uh, they'll, we'll just have silence uh, in here for uh, just about a minute and uh, then we'll be done. Okay? Ready to try that? So let me go ahead and uh, lead us just in a short prayer and uh, then we'll get going. Well, God, we ask you to come right now and that you would meet with us in this place because we want to meet with you. In Jesus' name.
Okay, you can uh, maybe kind of come out of that a little bit. Um, Everything in your world wants to keep you from doing that. Every single piece of the world wants to keep you from having that moment with God. And for some of you, maybe you thought, man, that was really cool. That, that really helped me to kind of center. And if that was you, uh, I'd encourage you to try that again uh, this week. And uh, maybe some of you hated it and you thought, can we just leave right now? And if that was you, you really need to try that this week, okay? <laughs> like, really. <laughs> I'm not laughing. Like, you really do. <laughs> and just to give yourself some moments where you can be with God. And uh, let's stand and we'll pray and, and we'll be done. God, this whole palms up, palms down thing is just a tool. And what it really is is that, God, we, we want to meet with you. And so would you help us this week to carve out time to um, create space to simply be with you. And as we do, God, would you meet with us, which we know you will, and would you um, send us your presence? In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up.